This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Kolchak the Night Stalker, episodes 19 and 20. Nowhere in man's history does he display more tenacity, more perseverance than in his search for eternal youth. Halting the relentless process of aging has been a constant dream of man's and of woman's. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that stalked its last night. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I wound up with a real bow wow last night. <laughs> was that on this episode? Do you remember that? No. Yeah, for the, the for episode 18, oh, they beat drunk for, uh, that drunk guy. The feed company. <laughs> and he ended up with a real bow wow. Some real, uh, real misogyny in these episodes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's been a weird trend for Kolchak in the latter half of the episodes, but uh, I mean, this character was just there to be like, you know, bow out. <laughs> well, that's it. This is it. We're in the final podcast on Kolchak, Jordan. This is it. Can you believe we watched 20 episodes of the show? We've done it. We've watched the entire the entire set. Yeah, we never jumped ship. We uh, we stuck to, stuck to our reins. I even watched the two movies. Oh, I know you watched. Yeah, that's right. You watched more. You've watched everything there is to, uh, to, about Kolchak. You just need to read the, now the comics and any sort of novelizations. And I'm going to play the video game afterward. Is there a video game? No, but that'd be great, right? It would, I could see it. I could see like a Nintendo game. Yeah, he's jumping on platforms. Exactly. <laughs> snapping, yeah. snapping photos. He's throwing his hat. Remember um, remember Michael Jackson's game, Moon, Moonraker? Moonwalker? Moonwalker. I don't think I've ever played it, but I'm aware of it. I'm mixing it up with Moonraker, the James Bond movie. Yeah, Moonwalker. And it was just a lot of him like, ah, and like throwing his hat and stuff and dancing. But uh, I thought, uh, hmm. It was just like beeps and bops though. <laughs> well, it was it was him in a little white outfit. His like uh, smooth criminal outfit. And he was, I don't know what he was fighting. I'm assuming police officers with subpoenas. Your favorite game as a child was this game. <laughs> you no, know, no, I never played it. I just remember seeing it. Well, I don't know how we got on this topic exactly, but... <laughs> Let's talk about the end <laughs> of Kolchak. Okay, sure. Um, so I'm sure you know a little bit of this, and I think we've talked a little bit over the course of our, our viewings mm-hmm. of Kolchak, but I was kind of looking at kind of how it all came to an end. And, you know, there's a few a few things kind of coalesced together. I mean, one of them was that the show was kind of in a bad time slot for the first half of its run. I believe it was Fridays at 10 yeah. p.m. That is the death spot, isn't it? Not not great. And eventually it was moved, I think, after the first half to like Fridays at 8 p.m. But I don't know if that was like a huge, a huge improvement on its previous time slot. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think this is what we have discussed specifically is that Darren McGavin ended up being pretty unhappy how it became a monster of the week formula. And it was just like not really working story wise for him. And then I guess the shooting schedule was quite exhausting. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. We've we've touched on this over the last uh, 10 weeks, I guess we've been doing Kolchak. Um, I get the criticism of the monster of the week, and we've talked about it, that. I think it's maybe too easy an excuse because I think it works well a lot of the time, and sometimes it doesn't. But um, I, I just, I'm not. It's, it's not as if the show started out as one thing and then became something else. You know, it's like uh, we watched Galactica in 1980. That very quickly became like 
kids watching Super Scouts or whatever, right? Like, I can see you being an actor and irritated at a show becoming something different than what it was. But Kolchak, for the most part, by episode 20, is the same as it was in episode 1. You know, so I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, the the accumulation of uh, of, of seeing this week well, after week. Well, I think week. you'd agree that the, the Monster of the Week formula has rarely gotten better. If anything, it's kind of gotten lazier. I would agree with that, but it's not as if... It's not as if it's not what he signed up for, I guess, is my point. I guess so. But I think when you sign up for it, you don't expect it to be like every episode to be a carbon copy of the previous episode. Like, you know, it's one thing to say you are going to have a monster of the week. But it's another thing to say it's just like we're going to also do all the same beats over and over and over again. I I would agree with that. That is maybe the show's biggest drawback is that um, you do start as a viewer start getting a little bored because you know exactly what's going to happen. They don't want to change the format at all. Um, and it starts getting a little tiring because you know you're just waiting for him to get the little bit of information to get where he's got to have this essentially fight with this this bad guy at the end. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting, though, because he asked to be released from the show. I guess the ratings weren't very good, and he kind of went to the network and said, let's just, like, call it off. Because they had a 26-episode order, and they called it off at 20. And uh, it's interesting to hear that you could, uh, he had enough star power, or at least the show was doing so poorly, that he was able to walk in and say, let's just let's just end it. And they, they agreed. I mean, it might have just been a, a money thing where he's just like, look, it's not doing well. I don't really want to do it. And they thought, well, that's six episodes we can save money we can throw into whatever variety show is popular at the time. Absolutely. But I mean, interest, it's interesting to hear that an actor could walk in and just be like, let's, 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 what are we doing here, everybody? Let's call it off. Yeah. <laughs> of the 20 episodes, apparently there were six additional scripts written because they were going hmm. to do 26 scripts. Apparently only really three of those scripts kind of have been released to the public or exist in like the public consciousness. So I've kind of gotten right. them written down, like what the three, three of the other six would have been. Okay. One of them we've talked about briefly in the last episode. The uh, I'm not going to pronounce any of these words. Uh, uh, the Git of Bielia. I don't know. Oh, what's that? Uh, this was the one that was set in West Virginia during a miner strike that Kolchak goes to cover, where he discovers the uh, a backwoods family with an inbred monster who commits gruesome murders. Right, right, right. You mentioned that last week, and we compared it to that horrible uh, X Files episode. Yes, yes. I mean, I would have been very curious as to how Kolchak handled that because it seems like a pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty grim subject to do. That is one thing, and I'm sure it's budgetary restraints. But this show would have been great if Carl could have traveled more. I can only think of one episode where he actually traveled, where they were down in Mexico, and it seems like it seems just built in the show that you could have these great locales, and you know. Uh, I mean, the X-Files did. It was funny because it was always clearly Vancouver. But um, to have him travel around, even just the United States, would have been nice. Yeah. I mean, another one of those things. I think we've pinpointed a number of ways this show could have improved itself, like a little bit of travel, more character development, other characters coming involved. You know, it just it wasn't clearly not what they were trying to do. And hence why yeah. even even Darren McGavin himself wanted to quit. <laughs> right. Uh, the other another episode was called Eve of Terror. Oh, I like that title. It's this one would have very much put Kolchak on the uh, the clearly clearly direction it was headed to, as the premise of it was a deranged feminist. <laughs> That's pretty good. I assumed it was Eve, as in Adam and Eve, and she's still around, and for some reason she uh, I don't know she's got a bone to pick. <laughs> 
I mean, all I could find was it just mentioned that a deranged feminist kills a bunch of people. They didn't go into any more detail. So maybe that was the reveal at the end or that it was uh, Eve of Adam and Eve all along. Who knows? Right, right. Yeah, that sounds like a terrible episode. Yeah, I mean, that one is like the one before. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then this one, I'm like, well, cancel this show. <laughs> that You know what, though? That seems about um, on par with how at least I felt the last last probably the second half of this show is like one episode you're like eh, and the next one you're like ooh, not so good then you're like oh this one's not so bad and then ooh, bad it's almost every other episode well this last one teases us with something we've kind of been hoping for this whole show <laughs> but i'm sure they wouldn't have done it they wouldn't have done it at all but it was called the executioners and it was a uh, kolchak has to write for the arts column and discovers a painting is tied to a series of murders that vincenzo is investigating and then Kolchak has to try to unravel the bizarre murders without alerting uh, Vincenzo to his involvement. That sounds fun. I mean, unfortunately, Col- Vincenzo would never actually be on. They would just like never cut back yeah. to Vincenzo, which is the thing that would make it good. But it it also sounds a little bit like Ghostbusters two with Vigo. Remember the painting? They're just get, they're just leaning into the fact that Kolchak solves everything by finding a painting on a wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's that's a weird thing to have gone back to several times that he happens to see a painting that gives him the information he needs to see something that jogs his memory and they're like what could it be probably a painting on a wall yeah uh and at any rate um abc would eventually after it was canceled cobble a couple of the episodes together to tv movies uh, do you want to hear the names of the tv movies and you can try to guess which episodes they were cobbled yeah, together out of? i'd love to you know, let me ask you, are, I would assume they'd be about two episodes, or is it three episodes they cobbled together? Exactly. Two episodes cobbled into a TV movie. Okay. It was The Demon and the Mummy. The Demon and the Mummy? That would be uh, the one with the dog, the dog demon? Nope. Oh. What other demon was there? I can't think of any other demons. Oh, wait. Was it? Oh, no. Those were witches. Um... Tell me, I can't remember. It was the it was the succubus episode we just watched, where they went to college and uh, killed all those okay. rat boys. Uh huh. And then the mummy would have sense. been the one with the Aztec mummy from last from last week. Oh, oh, those were put together as one thing, huh? Yeah, yeah. That was that was uh, somehow. A, I mean, I I I've only I think in passing ever watched any of these like cobbled together movies. So I, I I have trouble. I think they. I feel like they must just be like episodes with like the most vague narration like connecting them yeah because i don't know how you would edit these in a way that it would be one proper storyline as as opposed to like at the beginning of the episode he's like two weird things happened this week you know yeah i'm my guess is that's exactly exactly how it worked and then the second one was called crackle of death (laughs) <laughs> that's the best title yet so far it wasn't it i thought the mu- i always realized the mummy and the demon is such a letdown if you're going to have one called the crackle of death yeah and what crackle of death is crackle of death so i wonder if it's a sound related one it is i'm gonna guess i'm just gonna throw it out there and i don't think it is i think it's gonna be the um the horrible indigenous episode um and then i'm gonna also mix it with just to double down on on racism i'm gonna go with the uh the uh east indian episode no i'm afraid not these are actually two episodes i think i kind of liked so maybe i would have been into this this particular tv movie but they combined firefall the episode with the ghost who turned who lit people on fire yeah and highlight the energy eater the one with the uh the invisible monster in the basement that ate electricity oh okay that one i didn't like as well but i i understand 
better why those two episodes would go together because they're both this sort of like mysterious entity. They're far more spooky. Though they should have done both. They should have done the invisible alien and the invisible energy reader together. Mm. Yeah. Could have been called the invisibles. Or yeah, the the invisible the invisible killer or Actually, uh, maybe you could actually cut those two together into one story if you just cut out like it's all about the alien and you just pretend the alien also went to a hospital. Right, right. You just cut out some of those scenes of like the walls cracking. I remember there was like 10 minutes of just walls cracking. This is the best part of the walls cracking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, let me just mention real quick. Um, in these episodes, in the second episode, episode 19, I mentioned this once before, and it's been a thing I've noticed in Kolchak is that I can tell when the episodes are running short because they have super long extended sequences of him driving. And in, in the second episode, they have an extended uh, thing of him driving. And then also there's there's a scene where the police get out of their cars and walk into a building and then into the lobby. And it, I clocked it at over 30 seconds. <laughs> and it's literally just, it's just people walking. And I was like, oh, short episode. Fill in, fill in time. Well, I'll yeah. wrap this up quickly here. My little my little thing about the end of Kolchak. Um, in the end, after it was this sort of canceled, it, it ended up being resurrected in reruns. Um, in 1979 Mm. and uh, I think they put it as part of like a late show one of the episodes and it did well so they started bringing it back and it actually kind of had three rerun revivals once in 1979 they brought it back and were surprised to see how well it did then they brought it back again in 1981 for another series of reruns which was also successful and then finally they brought it back in 1987 for another kind of round of reruns that apparently all these times were actually quite ratings wise successful hmm maybe it was a just a bit of a you know too early for its uh for own good you know like maybe it just it just would have hit better a few years later yeah and it was eventually remade in 2005 as a tv series called the night stalker um mm-hmm. did not fare much better i believe it was canceled uh, only six episodes of 10 ever aired we should try watching it sometime yeah i think that'll one day we'll get to night stalker eh? yeah yeah i've all i know of night stalker is uh i don't think it as you mentioned it wasn't terribly well received but uh, looking through fan fiction, I have found some people who seem to be a fan of that version of Kolchak because their stories are written in that in that universe. So some people like it. Oh, there you go. And I mean, there was also one close call where it was nearly turned into a feature film. In 2012, apparently, Disney announced a never-produced Kolchak film. It was going to be directed by Edgar Wright and starring Johnny Depp. Wow, you know what's funny, because I know we're going to talk about this shortly, uh, of doing a recast, spoiler, is that he was one of my, that I dropped off my list. He was one of the people I was like, maybe that's who could play Kolchak. Well, Johnny Depp's out now. He's not getting any more things. No, it's not happening now, which is one of the reasons I was like, I don't think maybe 2022 I'm going to put Johnny Depp in. Well, that's it. That was the that was my segue, Jordan. We're going to go in and do a little game. We're going to recast Kolchak as a major motion picture for the modern era. So let's begin, Jordan. Uh, who would you cast? I know you're not going to cast Johnny Depp now, but who would you cast no. as Carl Kolchak? Okay, this is a very rare thing, but I have three people and I want to discuss them with you because this will kind of dictate what the rest of the movie is. So I have three kind of, maybe these people would, would work. So I'll give you one, you give me, and then we'll go back and forth. So the first person I picked, and I'm not even that confident in it because he's now just like a Marvel guy and he doesn't actually make movies anymore. But at one point, I thought he was a pretty strong actor um, and made interesting movies. And that's Robert Downey Jr. 
Robert Downey Jr. I mean, I I could see a modern version of this. Like he, this is like his uh, Doolittle movie. Hmm. I just thought kind of like a rumpled investigator sort of thing. But again, I just don't know if he's that interested in making movies anymore as much as yeah i mean we definitely just get mugging downey jr exactly yeah the latter half of his career but uh what do you you think who who would you pick it's a tough one because like darren mcgavin is clearly like the perfect person for this role so i was trying to think who can bring because you know he's kind of got that gruff detective thing well actually not you're not able to take him that seriously so it gives you like it makes him a bit of a lovable loser most of the time even though like i think he would think of himself as more than that so i was really trying to find a person who can walk that line of kind of like gruff hero who's actually a bit of a loser who you are always cheering for yeah and i think there is one person who could do it and it's sam rockwell oh you know what that's an excellent, excellent pick. It's better than my other two. So I'm I'm with Sam Rockwell all the way. That's a great pick. Yeah, it was a tough. great, great pick. I, I have another pick who I like too, but it's just something about Sam Rockwell. He really is the only guy I can see playing a Davin McGarren character. Like, there's just, there's something about the two of them that fit well. I think I had someone along that line, um, but not as good as Sam Rockwell. And that was Ben Stiller I had on my list as well. Oh, uh, interesting. An old Ben Stiller. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, and then my my third was a wild card. Are you ready? Yeah, do it. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not going to be that, but I just thought there was something. I'm like, well, let's just throw stuff at the wall. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You could do a bunch of like you make it very crazy then, and just have Nicholas Cage just bouncing off the walls. Maybe yeah. maybe not quite like the Kolchak we know, but it'd be a whole new Kolchak. But you have another pick, right? I don't think it's gonna be better than Sam Rockwell though. Mine is a bit of an outlier. He's not as big a movie star. You pick some big movie stars. I went with, um, do you know Steven Yeun? Yes, I do. Yeah, he's in uh, Walking Dead and, um, oh, what's it called? Minera? Minari, I think. Minari, thank you. Um, And I was like, he is maybe not as comical, but he he has that kind of beat down kind of detective look. And I was like, oh, I think he'd make an interesting cold check. It's an interesting choice. I think, though, for this role, I think I just I think it's hard to beat Sam Rockwell. I think it's such a good pick. He's here's the thing. I also agree. Unfortunately, I think Sam Rockwell is kind of like he's a he's a hard man not to be like I could see him in that. Like you put that hat on him and he's there already. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. well, let's let's uh, that's done. That's a done deal. Contracts out. We're just waiting for his agent to sign. Uh, We've got now Tony Vincenzo. Yes, Tony Vincenzo. Uh, I can start us this time. Again, I was like trying to find the right actor for this kind of like boss who's always like, who like has no power and is always beat down, but is always trying mm-hmm. his best to get like, but is, you know, genuine. I don't want him to be a hard ass. I want him to be a genuine nice guy. So I got two options here. Um, I went with uh, Bob Odenkirk. Okay. All right. That's pretty good. I could see that. And then. I picked, and I might. This might need some explaining. But uh, do you know Stephen McKinley Henderson? Uh, not by just by the name. What would I know he, him from? He's an older black actor. You would have seen him most recently in Dune. He was the like human computer who was always like he's he's very he's a very lovable. He's a bigger man. He's quite a bit older. Um, I I oh I, I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's he's in a lot of things. He's a real character actor. It's interesting. I don't think he'd be quite the like hard ass Vincenzo, but I could really see him being like a flustered, like nice boss trying to do his best, but like just constantly being like cool, Jack. 
And who's your first pick again? Bob Odenkirk, of course, from Better Bob Call Odenkirk. Saul. And okay. Bob and Bob and Doug. Was that what's called? No, that was I, wrong. Not Bob and Doug. I have a, I have two other picks. I, and these are all over the place. So it's it's funny when a character, it's like, whoever's available. Um, uh, My first one was Danny DeVito. Oh, that's a pretty fun one, actually. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought I could see him being pretty flustered at all times by Coljack. And then I thought I'd go in a slightly different direction and have uh, a little bit more authority. Um, and that's Forrest Whitaker. Oh, Forrest Whitaker. That's an interesting one, too. I know. It's different. It'd make the character a lot different. It would it'd be less of a joke and more of... You'd have to really kind of put lean more into this sort of, like, frustration of the actual legality issues that Kolchak brings up. You know what? I'm, I'm interested in Forrest Whitaker because I actually think he could probably be quite funny, too, if, like, given the right material. It'd be an interesting, like... I think he could be a good Vincenzo potentially. Yeah, do you think Forrest? I'm I'm kind of agnostic. Whatever you think. Um, I mean, I think they're all interesting choices. Like Danny DeVito's interesting. I just he's gotten so much older, and he's kind of like I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just hard to. I'm having trying to picture him in this role. Like I think I could imagine like younger Danny DeVito in this role, but now he yeah. feels like he's like. It might be where I'm picturing. I might be. I might be picturing you know taxi era version of him, but. Uh... And not uh, Sunny Day, whatever that show's called. Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, Let's give it, let's see what Old Forest Whitaker can do for us. Okay. All right. Contract's out. Now, Ron Updike. Another odd character because you, it really, the casting will dictate uh, how kind of silly this character is or how much, uh, how much weight you know the, the the role has yeah i this was a tough one i've got two very disparate choices who i think so do i oath could be good and i kind of leaned into him being a bit more on that the kind of like nebbish side that like leans into that but i think both go different ways on that nebbishness yeah i picked one person that you should really hate and one person you kind of on his side <laughs> all right you want to start us off this time Okay, the person I picked simply so that the viewers would be like, I can't stand this guy. Uh, maybe a little too old for the role, but maybe change it a little bit and uh, uh, make it a little prim and proper. Hugh Grant. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I think he could be a role where you just get really irritated at him. I think I've got a similar thought process. Not exactly, but I think this is, this character, this actor would also fill the same kind of role as a Hugh Grant, potentially. But uh, mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, yeah we're on the same wavelength we're th- we're just thinking that sort of like uh uh it's just that british voice comes in is like excuse me and uh yeah i get it it's yeah, you get the mustache pick. on him and he's always like constantly like talking about like he's basically fraser he's always talking about the nice things in chicago but he's always having to deal with the slob it, they're a real odd couple i yeah. think in this movie yeah yeah that's a good one my second one is changing things up it's you'll, you'll see it's leaning more into the comedic is uh john c Riley. John C. Riley. I mean, not a bad choice. Yeah, good actor. Great actor. Great actor. I went a little younger with my second choice, and I, I think there's something here, and I think it's, but it's, it's a bit of a different energy for a Ron Updike, but I think you would still make it work. Is I was thinking, uh, Jesse Plemons. Oh, old, uh, uh, younger, chubbier Matt Damon. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, just picture him as kind of. He's a bit more. Like I think he's a I bit more of like a sad that. sack, but I I like him. He's a good actor, and I think he's really um, he's really uh, getting into those like somewhat uh, uh, empathetic schlubby roles. I like him. I think he's the pick. 
Yeah, I, let's go with it then. I like it. I think he's more gettable than uh, some of our others as well. Yeah, it also it also gets the teens in to watch this movie. You know? Yeah, yeah he got, he's got that great mustache <laughs> he can grow. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> yeah. All right. Of course, there's Miss Emily Cowles. Mm-hmm. Again, two. I have two weird picks. This is a tough one. I was trying to come up with like older actresses who like fit this role, and so many of our older actresses are uh, like. This is not a slight against them. Good for them. They're all they're all very attractive. Our older actresses, like like you're, yeah. you're not putting Susan Sarandon in this role. Like they're just too. They're just too. They're just too. Like you're too into them. Like whereas she needs to feel a little more. Not that she's not like wonderful, but she needs to feel a little more like your grandma, right? She needs to feel like a little bit more like your grandma. This role, unless you want to. Well, do you my, want a sexy Emily? Well, my first pick is I think just by putting this this uh, actress in the role, something interesting is happening, even if it's just off camera, and that person is Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. So you're going a completely different direction with this. You're just like, yeah, yeah. It's just like you don't know what's. She might be doing her own cases on the side. She like, is probably the monster weird. of the week in the movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I just thought this role needs more. Tilda Swinton. Interesting. I, I did. I so you and I went different ways. I actually did try to find a nice grandmotherly person to fill this. Oh, role. okay. Just because I Dame Judy, Dame Judy Dench, is that who you pick? No, no. Um, I feel like one thing. Obviously, Kolchak never does anything with its side characters. But I realized watching it this week, I'm like, there's something you don't see on TV. Is like, it's amazing that they have a secondary character on this. One of the one of the secondary characters is just like a woman over seventy. Just like she's come out of retirement to do some work. She's just like you don't see that character like as a sidekick on TV at all. And I thought it was very interesting. Uh-huh. So, so who do you pick? I went with my first pick, Carol Kane. Carol Kane? I haven't heard that name in ages. Well, she was re- most recently on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and she's absolutely wonderful in it. And like she's a little more oh, manic that's right. in that. Yeah, yeah. But she, you could, I think she could play a different kind of role in this. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to give you my second one, and it's bombastic. Ready? Yeah. All right. Hold on to your uh, wigs and keys. Kathy Bates. I looked at Kathy Bates as well. I thought that was Did interesting. You? She has so much gravitas. I wasn't sure how she'd fit. I know. I know. Here's the thing about Kathy Bates. She's great, and she's commanding. I. Here's my worry. A- everyone's just going to watch Emily Cowles. She's going to take. She's. She, I think she might be. Her. her she just might be too big a presence but i i really like Kathy let me Bates. let me pitch you something right now it's gonna really throw the a, a gear in the works here okay what's a female version of the name tony female uh tina <laughs> i don't know sure tina vincenzo played by kathy bates oh okay you know what that's that's not that's not a bad idea and we because right now we have forrest whitaker right yeah i you think uh you think we we gender swap it because we need Kathy Bates? I'm all for it if it means Kathy Bates. Because I, I was just thinking that gravitas of Kathy Bates and like being put upon by Sam Rock. There might be something that seems like some chemistry there to me. Look, I can call Forrest Whitaker's people and say that contract shouldn't have gone out. Great, put put a line out. We're we're, we're changing our minds. Kathy Bates is coming in. Is it Tina though? Shouldn't it be something better? And Antonia is that an is that the Italian version of Anthony? Yeah, yeah. That's a name, something like that. Antonia, like my Antonia, the Will- Willa Cather book. We just find it. We find a nice, a nice Italian name for her, and she'll be great. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do it. All right, I think we, I think we should, because I, I, when you said it and we were talking about, it, I'm like, you know what? I think that is the pick. Anyway, my, but, my, but that leaves us. Who's your second? My pick? second pick for uh, Emily Cowles is you're gonna love this one. I think. I, mm-hmm. I'm surprised you didn't come up with it yourself. Linda Hunt. 
Oh, done. <laughs> perfect. She's still out there. She's still acting. I think she'd be great. Oh, it's no, it's perfect. Honestly, think of this scene. What's his face? Uh, who's who's Kolchak? Sam Rockwell. Uh, Sam Rockwell. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's my memory. Sam Rockwell shows up. Kathy Bates is there, giving him the word. And then in the background is uh, what's her face? Linda Hunt. <laughs> Linda Hunt. That's great. That's wonderful. It's a fun. I think it's fun. And then Jesse Plemons is there, like trying to trying to write a, trying to write an article about the society. He's page. just there being nebbish. It's wonderful. Honestly, this is one of the best ones we've done. This is great. This is like actual movie. All right. Who's directing this masterpiece then? Okay. My pick doesn't work at all anymore because of the people we've cast, I don't think. But I kind of thought it would fit into this sort of, wouldn't it be fun to take 70s tropes and kind of modernize them and at the same time kind of pay homage. So I had picked Quentin Tarantino, which I don't think we've ever picked before. (laughs) But now I'm like, oh, I don't think this works anymore. This this movie is a lot like his Star Trek movie that lives in his head. (laughs) exactly yeah it's another one that's not going to get made but I, so now at first when i was picking some people i thought maybe this would be like a fun like like jackie brown-esque sort of caper but i don't yeah, think it yeah. works anymore who do you have i've had two choices um i think based on who we've put together steven spielberg and george lucas yeah those, those are the two <laughs> no i i was trying to think of people who can play in the space and not horror comedy. I think horror comedy yeah. wasn't quite this like directors I wanted for this. I think it needed to be a little more character comedy, but in a, mm-hmm. in a, like an actual, like hard horror space, like it should be scary as well. Mm-hmm. So I've got two options here. One Taika Waititi. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, like I like, I like his stuff. I just don't know if that, that sense of humor works, but I, I think it's not a bad pick. I think it's kind of got that dry uh, New Zealand could work. I think you could find a way to make it work. Yeah. Hard to say. Um, and the second pick was Jordan Peele. Ah, Jordan Peele. Can I can I say something that's an unpopular opinion? You don't like him. I think he's so overrated. I think he's a lot of fun. Yeah, he's fine. He's perfectly fine. It's just I don't know. <laughs> You're this not a like fan. A, I, it's it's not that I'm not a fan. He's just it's just. He's got a real good publicist. Anyway, yeah, that's how Hollywood um, works. <laughs> I know, I know. I, he's I think fine. I think the movies he's made have been like quite entertaining, and I think that's why he's a good. Like, I think he could make an entertaining yeah. movie out of this. Because let's do it. He would. I'm fine. I'm fine with it. He would make it funny because I think all of his movies have a, like an element of humor to them. But like, he also is like he's gonna give you some actual scares. Like, he's not gonna like shy away from like he's not gonna. It's not gonna be all jokes about how a head came off and someone gets squirted in the face yeah. with blood. I know like. I'm poo-pooing it, but I think he's actually a good pick. <laughs> we don't have to go with him either. I'm really fighting for him no, right now. But no, no, no. I, you know what? It's look. It's better than my pick. Quentin Tarantino's not doing this thing. Um, I I think it's probably. I think it's also good for 2022. You know, he's a uh, he's a hot young, pro- uh, hot young property. Hot young property, much I think yeah. older than us, but a young property. <laughs> well, yeah. All right, Jordan, you want to hear who how this movie shaped out? Yeah, I really like it. So, the the starring the starring cast is Sam Rockwell as Carl Kolchak, Kathy Bates as Vincenzo, <laughs> Jesse Plemons as Ron Updike. And Linda Hunt as Miss L- Emily Cowles. Oh, I mean, Linda Hunt's involved. You can't go wrong. 
It's a really nice little movie, I feel like. Can we just say, and what what is the monster? What are they, what's he going to be doing? Is this going to be a remake of one of the better episodes? Is it going to be its own something new? It's a good question. I was trying to, I was, I was kicking that around in my head and I'm just trying to think of like what my favorite monsters were, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, could go a lot of ways. I, I don't mind the idea of maybe taking and really revising that that one alien show. I know you weren't a big fan of the Invisible Alien. I don't think you missed it go that way. No, you know what? I've come around to that. As After we've watched more and more episodes, I think that might be, if not the best episode, one of the top three. But I think, yeah, I think if you took kind of like, even went as far as going to the like Russian film stalker and like started really pulling out the extremely weird elements of it, and just making it yeah. a little more like insane. That might be interesting, but it might be it might be too much for the first movie. People might not get what it's about. Yeah. What I kind of thought would work is in some ways pulling a lot of elements and villains from the show, sort of like a Ghostbusters type thing, which is there's some large malevolent uh, 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 force happening, and it starts making things weird. So monsters start appearing or weird things start happening because of this you know something underground that's coming up and so as Kolchak's solving all these cases he realizes it's all connected to this much larger thing that he has to right, take right, down right. and i guess eventually opens the sky for sky garbage yeah yeah we just do ghostbusters with Kolchak. yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> well it's not our problem it's for the screenwriters to figure out yeah exactly i'm like guys we already got the cast just make this work just go ahead. We put it together. We're already into pre-production. We don't have a script. Start shooting. It's fine. It's a real. It's a real multiverse of madness. We'll be just fine. Just get start shooting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, it's a pretty good movie. It is. I, I. I actually am pretty happy with that one. So let's get into these episodes. Then we've been going long enough. Let's let's finish the series off. All right. Episode eighteen, or is it nineteen? Episode nineteen. I, I, nineteen. Here's the Iron Duty summary. The episode nineteen. The mm-hmm. Youth Killer. Kolchak discovers a very attractive woman who maintains her youth and beauty by <laughs> sacrificing young men and women to ancient Greek gods. Uh-huh. Yeah, this, again, this was one of those episodes where I thought it was going to lean into the sort of uh, stereotypical college kind of things you see in movies where there's a lot of, like, hijinks, and that's not what this is. <laughs> not at all. This is this is very much, this hits a few... M- Tropes we've seen in some of these other shows. Bad tropes we've seen in some of these other shows. Yeah. Right off the well, bat. Well, I can think of one other thing we watched, which was, I think it's called The the Wasp Woman. Was that the one? Uh, that was one. That were like it, the same idea. There's essentially a woman and she wants to get younger or appear or at least keep her age the same because that's all women want. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, it even starts out with Kolchak's like, it's what man's always wanted. Or maybe more accurately, woman, uh, to stay young and sexy yeah. forever. <laughs> also, spot on impersonation. I know, it was my good cold check. And it was also in, um, <laughs> do you remember Otherworld, when uh, they went to the spa the spa island and that woman was... Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a, very, a trope we've what seen What a terrible, terrible trope, huh? Absolutely. This time, we're, uh, it's being played by a woman, Kathy Lee Crosby, who played Wonder Woman in 1974. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what's weird? I went and read a lot more about her. For, I don't know why. It was late at night and uh, when I was watching this, and I was like, oh, I think I recognize her. And I don't know if I did. I think she was just a face I've seen in shows from that era. Apparently, was quite the tennis player oh. and got up to, uh, in professional in the WTA, got up to the rank of number seven in women's tennis. Oh, amazing. 
Yeah, it's very good. Anyways, also had a really messy divorce with a football player. So that's neither. <laughs> you know, that's not uh, what he called for. In this episode, she plays a woman named Helen Surtees, or as we'll find out later, she's actually Helena of Troy. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a weird turn at the end that adds nothing. There's no reason. Yeah. It's just like, hey, um, she's also this person because you recognize that name, viewer. That's it. Yeah, she's just she's so old. This is she's Helen of Troy. Anyway, she's been sacrificing beautiful young people to the Greek god Hecata for like I don't know a millennium plus, I guess. Yeah. So there's a couple of funny things about that. The one, the first thing is that if you're taking this as, as they present it, she's been doing this. You're right for like a thousand years, and only now is it becoming a problem. For one, that's one funny thing. The second thing is that so obviously she's a beautiful young actress. She's probably about. 30 let's say early 30s this actress um and so to make her look old they add the slightest bit of bags under her eyes um because you still want her to be attractive but they want to show that she's aged but what's funny is over the course of the episode she is essentially sucking the youth out of people to keep her youthful appearance but it seems to be weighted incorrectly because at worst she looks like maybe 35 and then after she sucks the life out she's like 30 but these people are like all about in their 20s but they end up they end up like like, 80 years from them (laughs) yeah yeah she takes like yeah she takes like 70 80 years from them to like get a couple years back and i was like this is this is unfair it's it's not a great uh the uh the exponentialness of it is bad (laughs) yeah yeah exactly it's like if she just stole a year here or there from people no one would notice but she has to suck like 70 years out of them. That was the other trope i quite enjoyed too is like to show you she's old and unattractive they like fake put some bags and wrinkles under her eyes i'm like okay cool oh yeah she's hideous now i mean the other trope they really use in this episode which is fun is uh when she's stealing the youth out of the young people all of the young actresses will like or actors and actresses will slowly will age very quickly Mm -hmm. through cuts and they just like only one time do they hire an old man to play the old version the rest of the time they just cake makeup on top of young people yeah, it was a weird choice, right? Because what the first guy that we're going to see is that starts this off. It's a guy running and he's young, he's in shape, he's handsome. And then as he's running, um, we see uh, this woman, whatever. What's her name in the show? Helen. Helen. So she's how right. She's off to the corner, sort of like uh, doing her ritual, park, like watching. Yeah, she's doing a ritual watching him, and we see him age rapidly as he's running. And obviously, he doesn't really notice he's getting older. He just starts feeling not great. And the transition's not bad from the makeup as he gets older. And then, yes, they cast an older actor to do uh, him at the end. But it is weird they don't do that later on because I was like, oh, that actually worked. Like, I thought that was a pretty good transition. And it looked much better than when they just throw on, like, 40 pounds of makeup on someone. Yeah, even in this, like, the the young actor, they, like, whiten his hair and they make him look, like, put some wrinkles on his face. And they're quick cuts yeah. as he's jogging, so you don't really get too long to look at them. But it's very funny just watching a young person get old, made old. And then, yes, he collapses of a heart attack during his jog, and that's how she steals his power. And then, like, almost immediately afterward, we actually get to watch a young woman doing uh, aerobics on the balcony of her apartment. And this this effect yeah. was also pretty good. Was like every time she bends down to like do a stretch, and she comes yeah. back into frame. They do a cut, and she's got the, she's slightly older every time she comes back up until she finally is such an old crone when she sees her <laughs> own face. She screams and falls off the balcony. I love that because it was it was too far to go because she's she's freaks out, but like there's still maybe two two three feet behind her, so she has to really really go backwards to flip over the the yeah, balcony. The and really I like that. It was speed to do that flip too. Yeah. 
that's right. But anyways, so what we get is, as, as per normal with Coljack, it's not enough to have one murder. There's got to be two right away so they know there's a pattern. Yeah, something for Carl to put together. I like this one because for the first time ever, he's like on a different story. Not first time ever, but like it's nice that he has a story to start off. But the story he's yeah. been assigned is so funny that brings him into this. Is He's been assigned to write a piece on modern dating. And I was just yeah. like, why on earth would you? He's like conservatively 55 years old. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It's like, how small is this newspaper? This is the guy you put got in the story. But anyways, it's it's it works out well for them because there's something sketchy happening. Yeah. And, you know, we learned it very early. This is what he's supposed to be writing about. But uh, Carl's kind of hanging out with Miss Emily and Ron Updig. And they're all talking about this 90 year old jogger who was found dead in the park of a heart attack. Kind of just what, what they're talking about, what a tragedy is. And Carl's like, it's so odd, too, because like nobody's come to claim the body. And like no one seems there seems to be no paperwork about a 90 year old man. He's just like, it's so weird that a man healthy enough to go for a jog would like barely seem to exist. Yeah, and there's there's something I don't know if there's a a better episode here, but I think there's something interesting that they don't the writers aren't as interested here, which is the idea that no one no one really seems to care about these old older people that have died. Um and obviously it's because there's no the records don't really match up because there was a young person and now they're older, but I think there's something interesting there about the idea of who is important and who's not, but that's maybe they, maybe too complicated a, a concept. They tease it like the writer clearly was like, "This would be cool, but we're not going to quite do it." Because like even in this thing, when Carl's like talking about this with Vincenzo, Vincenzo's just like, "Just focus on your dating story. Nobody cares about ninety-year-old people." Like the, exactly, it does make news, and it's a great cut because it turns around and Miss Emily's like been at the door the whole time, and she looks so sad, and like Vincenzo's like, "Ah, oh, fuck, what did I do?" And like, it's a nice scene, but you're right, it never amounts to any more than that scene. Yeah, because I just think there's some, some, something uh, societal that could have been touched on, which when this show is really hitting on all cylinders, that does come into it. But this is sort of one of those weird, it's a weird uh, monster of the week because it's just this lady succubus, which I guess is like the second time we've had this. Yeah, I guess it's very similar in that way. Um, anyway, Karlchek decides to start doing his uh, his dating coverage, I guess, and he goes to visit a uh, a matchmaker under false mm-hmm. pretenses for some reason to start the story like i understand when he goes to people and like lies to them why he's there because he doesn't want to tell them he's there investigating a supernatural monster but he literally is like writing a story on dating goes to talk to a matchmaker but doesn't he like lies to her and says he's there to get match made and then when he shows up he's like just kidding i'm actually a reporter like I, she would have talked to you yeah. well that's the thing there's this weird idea that no one would ever speak to a reporter um but it's like let's say he talked to this matchmaking lady and she's like, I don't want to talk to you. He's like, all right, I'll just call the next matchmaking company. Like one of them would talk to her. It was the first reveal that Kolchak's only strategy for everything is to ambush everybody. Even if the story is just (laughs) like, Hey, tell me about uh, baking today. He like goes to a bakery and just like ambushes them. (laughs) At any rate, this woman does finally like start talking to Kolchak about the dating scene and sort of talks about her competitors as a matchmaker. She's talking about like singles bars and singles apartments and computer matchmaking that's happening now, specifically a company called Max Match, which is going to be important to us this episode. Yeah, Max Match. I like the, I like the logo for it. It was all like, like uh, it looked like something you would have, uh, like, like it's advertising like a cool new makeup. 
But that is all we really get of the matchmakers. Like, she kind of just gives Kolchak some other places to go learn about dating. But I do like, there's a thing they don't do anything with, which I was just like, ah, another another wasted opportunity in Kolchak. And she's like, even though she finds us, he's a reporter. She's like, insistent. She's like, all right, I'm going to find you a match to prove you how good a matchmaker I am. And like, at some point she'll call him and she's found a young nurse who might be a good match for him. And Kolchak just doesn't want to deal with it. And it just, I was like, what a waste. Like, it sets up this idea that at some point Kolchak's going to get matched with somebody and have to go on a date or something. We're going to get a scene and that's going to tie into the episode. It just never goes anywhere. I thought the exact same thing. I thought, what a missed opportunity of a couple things. One, uh, uh, expanding the personality of Carl a little bit because I mean, it's not 100%, but for the most part through this these 20 episodes, he's a pretty asexual character. Um, there's never a romantic plot line or, or there's never real any real indication of his sexuality. The only thing we know is he hates women. <laughs> right. Which, which I'll, I'll, I'm going to not defend that, but I think that was a particular writers just kind of like jamming in one of these scenes, which is a bit of a sign of the times. Cause I don't think overall that's his character. That was sort of like outlier episodes that they're just like, Oh, this is a bad scene. Um, I think you can kind of wave that away. Yeah. Which is maybe I, I agree. Fair, I think it's but... more to do with the time it's being written than anything yeah. else. So, you know? So anyways, the, the point being, I think, I think there was something there where you could have expanded his character a little bit and maybe seen like, why doesn't he have a partner? Or maybe it's, you know, um, whether it's his personal choice or he's, you know, a little bit difficult to deal with or he's had a bad breakup or whoever it is. I think there's something to expand him a little bit. And then on uh, more fun in terms of this episode, how great would it have been if he has to solve a case and the woman he's on a date with won't let the date end? So she just goes with him all the time. And I was like, that's that's fun. And again, it's like, I'm telling you, this show is screaming for team-ups, and they just don't want to do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What Carl does do, though, is having heard about singles apartments from this woman, he goes into a singles apartment to check it out. Again, uninvited. He just goes to the gate, and he realizes it's locked. Like, he just doesn't... He does no preparation. <laughs> yeah. But as he arrives, so do the cops, because they're investigating an elderly woman who's fallen off a balcony. The woman we saw earlier has died at this complex, and Carl hey, pegs along. I got a weird weird uh, question for you. So we go back to this apartment a few times, at least two or three times, um, because again, as we mentioned, there's a confusion because they're looking for this older woman. They can't figure out why she was in the building and where she fell off, so they're going through all the apartments, to, and they have one apartment where, obviously, the younger version of herself um, lived and they're like, this looks weird because the door's open, the music's on and all this sort of stuff. And it seems like she's disappeared. And there's this dude who keeps showing up and I'm assuming it's the landlord. Yes. And he keeps trying to make excuses for it, but he seems way too involved for a landlord. Like he's just like, he, for whatever reason is like obfuscating. He's like, it's not a big deal. And then she goes out. Do you not know how young people are? And I was like, why is this landlord giving all his opinion all the time? Yeah, I don't know. They they needed someone to give exposition. And like, they're really trying to like imply it's like, oh, everyone's just, all these young people just go to this, live in singles apartments. They all have sex with each other. Can you believe this yeah. degeneracy? <laughs> I know that's it was just weird. And I was like, is that what they're trying to tell us? Is this like just an old person writing this episode who's just like, kids, you are my right? Yeah, they assigned they assigned the Kolchak equivalent to write the dating episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what I should mention, I can't remember the actress's name, but the lady who uh, is running the dating. Um, Helen. Uh, Helen. Uh, no, no, not not her. The one who's trying to set Kolchak up. Oh, the that's a character actress. 
if you saw her, she's been in a million things. Like she was acting since like the forties all the way through, I think the late nineties. Um, anyways, she's just one of those, she's got one of those faces and you're like, Oh, I've seen her before. Very funny. Yeah. There's also not an important character in this episode, but as always, they introduce a new police lieutenant to like, yeah. Butt heads with Kolchak. Orkin. And they try to play with formula for a second here. Cause like he shows up and he's like, Oh, I I've heard of you Kolchak, but I, I prefer to form my own opinions. Everyone at the station says you're a troublemaker, but I, I want to, I like to work with the press. So let's, let's like kind of get along. And then like a scene or two later, he Kolchak goes to visit him and he's just like, uh, they're calling me a pinwheel now around the, de- the department. Cause you're excited. Talks to you and was nice to you. Now everyone hates me. So I hate you now too, Carl. Yeah. It was weird because I thought it was going to be, Again, like you said, a kind of against type because we've had that a, a couple times, like the one cop who was in anger management. So he was being nicer. And we've had I think there was the other one cop who had just moved up and he was trying to do things a little differently. We, like, we've had a few of them. But yeah, they were just like they had just abandoned it after one scene. Yeah, this this cop is set up as like it's going to be something and he's going to like, you know, be betrayed by Kolchak and learn a lesson or something about, about how Kolchak's a bad cop. But it just like it, it, he just like goes back to the office and everyone at the office is mean to him for talking to Kolchak. So he's like, no, nah, I'm not nice to you either, Kolchak. You know, we mentioned this previously, and I think even at the beginning of this episode of sort of like, uh, you know, the well-trod paths that this show seems to seems to have, you know, they just keep going over the same sort of stuff. And, and the idea of like a detective or a sergeant or a lieutenant is fine, but it's like you have a whole police department. There's so many different ways that Carl could get information. He doesn't have to necessarily have to bump heads with the lead investigator. Like, and I just thought like, is it just too much effort? But like, there's just so many other ways he could go about things. And they just were like, no, he's got to butt heads with this cop because that's what this show is. It's the 1970s and people don't cut tr- trust cops. I mean, it's why it's ending, right? Because it's so paint by numbers. Like we just see the yeah. same variations every single time. Barely variations. Yeah. Yeah. At any rate, a big surprise for me was Carl goes to visit the city morgue. And I know. Gordy ep- the Ghoul. Episode 19, Gordy the Ghoul returns. I was shocked to see it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's but of course you know how it's gonna go. Uh, Carl wants information. He wants money, and there's like a whole thing about like, is it him giving money for a TV or buying a TV? They have like a whole negotiation of he gets a TV for getting information. It's the one thing I kind of liked where I felt like they were almost retconning why they've had so many morticians. But they so Gardy is kind of like, hey, Carl, me and the other morticians who work here have been talking about how you haven't been paying your debts like you say you're going to pay us for something you don't sometimes you don't get around to it so we've we've all agreed that before we give you any more information you're going to buy us a color tv and carl yeah. like negotiates them negotiates them down to an 18 inch black and white tv for the morgue yeah not great to be fair um but it's such a, it was an interesting weirdness to be like oh so all these morgue attendants know carl and we're trying to like build a there's a shared universe of morgue attendants down there right yeah, but the whole point is he wants the information. Is it specifically he's looking for, he, is it the ring he's looking for? Well, he's come to see the old jogger who died and wants to like, kind of like get a sense of what happened. He's, he's just still kind of curious about it. And when he when he looks at the body, and I don't know how you would ever notice, but he looks at the old dead body and he's like, huh, looks like it was that this man was wearing a ring at one point. And I'm just like, how? Right. Like, unless he was wearing that ring for years, you would not notice a ring mark on his finger. But sure, okay. Which um, and is it? This is where we find out the guy had one eye. 
Yes, which this is when Carl's like, well, let me see his possessions to see if the ring's in there. And he's like going through a box of possessions. He's like, oh, what's this? And the Gordy's like, I had one eye. He had a weird glass eye. Isn't that crazy? But there's no ring inside of the uh, inside of the box. But there is yeah. a key to an apartment. So Carl like pockets that when Gordy's not looking. Yeah. And this is the first instance we get. You, you, as a viewer, you should track this, that the guy had one eyeball. Yes. It becomes partly uh, important for identifying him and then important for another reason. And also, I think it doesn't pay off, but regardless. <laughs> um, and then Carl also is just like, well, I didn't find the ring there. So he just goes back to where the where they found the 90-year-old dead body. And he just digs around in the grass until he finds the until he finds the ring that fell off the man's finger. It's so weird. In the opening, you see the, a ring fall on the ground. I assumed it was Helen dropping her ring. But I guess we were supposed to know that it slipped off the old man's finger as he died. Yeah, it's it's just because it's, it's filmed and edited in a way where it's confusing because you just see a ring for some reason. I knew it was the guys, but you know, it doesn't make sense why he just fell off his finger. The whole point is so Carl can get the ring, and Carl puts on the ring for some reason. And well, he gets, get he almost gets caught by a cop, so he slides it on his finger like it's his own. <laughs> yeah. And anyways, in, in it's there's a kind of weird running gag that he can't get the ring off his finger. Yeah, and I mean, I thought it was going to be like a setup to be like he's in danger, but he's never really in danger from wearing the ring. No, and I think right now we get another, we get like an extended sequence of this uh, um, guy who wants to go by the name Lance. He's changed the name Lance. So he's he's having a conversation with Helen and, and yeah, we kind of, we see how like the dating, uh, the dating company works. Like she's asking him questions about himself and he's, you know, he seems to uh, meet all their criteria. And one of those criteria are like no visible imperfections like scars or um i guess I, I i don't know like anything that might be abnormal they want to make sure that that's not the case for um uh for this dating app and they sort of write that off as it's so exclusive that you don't have to worry about someone who might have some visible scar like that's a real turnoff well he's actually being invited it, within max Ma- max match if you will there's a, an olympian tier where i think this is what you're talking about that's anyone right. who's a perfect specimen like just the most beautiful people on earth get to be in this olympian tier and only date each other like it's she's really giving a real nod to uh, with the olympian tier what's that <laughs> She gives a real nod to uh, to what's happening here with her with her naming conventions. <laughs> it's true. And once you're in the Olympian tier, like Lance is, you get a, you get a special ring you can wear to show everyone you're in the Olympian tier, and a little scroll that uh, invites you into the Olympian tier. It's like you're an engineer <laughs> with our little rings they give each other. You know, very important ring. They they do look like engineering rings, actually. The ones they're yeah. wearing in the show. Yeah. Um, but hey, there's something I like about this guy though. This so this guy who eventually he says he's changed his name Lance, and she's like, "Ooh, good choice." Which I'm like, "No, it's not." But anyways, um, we get like a sequence of him then like at home, like getting ready for his date, and his mother's like, "What are you doing? Why are you going on a date?" And he's like, "Leave me alone, ma!" And he's like, "Call me Lance." And he's and he's dressed in like your classic tennis outfit, which by the way, tennis was huge in the '70s because it's in every show from the '70s we watch. There's either a tennis episode or a tennis. Uh, theme of some sort but anyways i like he's like he's like this is what uh what people wear to a tennis date but then when we see him on his date later it's clearly the middle of the night i and also he's, and he's that. going to his date and i was like where's he playing tennis he's playing tennis at midnight i also noticed that his date was in the middle of the night in for tennis i was like okay i liked his mom also hates computer dating she's like what is this computer dating that's never gonna work yeah <laughs> She she wasn't great at uh, looking into the future. But as he walks to his tennis date, he, of course, becomes an old man and dies of a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and we see Helen there sucking the life out of him again. Anyway, Kolchak has meanwhile been trying to track down the origins of this apartment key he found, which I think we're led to believe he has just walked into a number of apartments randomly trying doors with the key until he finds the right one. That's exactly what they they imply. A lot of wasted time there for Carl. Yeah, because it's like literally the whole building he's been trying. Yeah. Anyway, he finally finds the door that opens, goes inside to this man's apartment. Uh, The old man's key leads to this apartment. But inside he finds a young man's apartment. He finds the Olympian scroll that ties it to the ring. And he learns about Max Match. And then he also finds a medical note in the man's wallet saying this young man only has one eye and has a glass eye. And so Carl's able to like, oh, well, the old man and the young man both have glass eyes. Maybe they're related. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Carl then is pretty convinced this has something to do with Max Match. Like he saw a ring on the body of the woman who fell off the balcony as well. So he's just like, you know, rings. They're both dating services. So he goes to check out Max Match, and um, no yeah. one there will serve him. There are, there's a lot of young people filling out forms for the computer matching service, but none of the employees there will serve Carl because he's just too old. Yeah, but he he's able to um, talk his way into speaking to Helen directly. Well, he makes a big stink until Helen has to intervene. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, while he's talking with her, he sort of flashes his ring that he has. I think it's mostly to try to get a reaction from her. And she kind of changes her tune. At first, she's like, oh, well, sir, you're not really our clientele. But she sees the ring and she really she changes her tone. She's like, well, actually, we can't help you here because you're just too masculine. Like, we can't do anything for you. You're already perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But clearly, she's just like, there's nothing I want to suck out of you. And Carl's really trying to push. Carl's really trying to, like, instigate something. Like, he's like, oh, well, I'm a writer. And it's so funny. I happen to have written a story one time about young people get turned into old crones. He's really trying to get a rise out of her in some way. And she really doesn't go for it. She kind of just, like, shows him the door. Um, but Carl's, like, on to the idea that something's happening at Max Match because he returns that night for what he calls, uh, as as journalists call it, a, quote, midnight interview, which is just breaking and entering. <laughs> you say that all the time, don't you? Yeah, yeah. That's when, when I come to your house in the middle of the night, smash your window and <laughs> poke around. It's my midnight interview. <laughs> you've, you've offered me to join you many times for a midnight interview. Yeah, yeah. How are you supposed to know if a, if a, a candidate is a good candidate if you don't give a midnight interview? <laughs> yeah, but I what I like is that um, he gets he goes into this place, um, and he sees her doing the ceremony, which we I don't know if we mentioned. It opens with her doing a ceremony, which is mostly her speaking in what we're going to find is ancient Greek, um, over like a, a pyre of some sort, um, and uh, he sees her doing it. And then there's another thing we've seen Kolchak do a million times is. He's like, you know what this is a good time to do? Take a photo with my very noisy camera. It always works. It never gets him caught. <laughs> yeah. And then if she hears it and he has to run and hide behind a couch. Well, I, why don't you describe? Because it's very funny. She has the sealed off room that she tells everyone's the computer room in this business. Yeah. But this room is insane. It's like a coliseum. It's like it's like a big round room that has um, what I guess would be like greek sculptures like pillars and uh statues and then in the middle of the room is again this sort of like uh uh, pillar with fire on the top and that's where she um where she does her ceremony and then above her is a big skylight that so she can see the moon i guess yeah i guess so it's very funny yeah carl almost gets caught he escapes but she's able to complete the ritual she's doing and we get a cutaway to a a woman 
who is thinking about going on a date that night, but she's a teacher, so she had a nap instead. And while she has a nap, she gets old and dies. I think of all the episodes we've seen, this is the saddest death we've seen. You just lay down for a nap. You don't wake up again. Well, it's the second person, by the way, we've seen in the show die from taking a nap. But this person just is goes to sleep and then ages rapidly and then just never wakes up. It was it was a very insane, like, I'm like, whoa. And it's very funny. They introduced her. I, think, I believe her monologue is like, her children would never see her again. And I was like, are you telling me she's a single mother as well? And then later she's like, they say she's a teacher. I'm like, oh, my God. Thank God. <laughs> anyway. Carl's now like he's he's on to what's going on. Something to do with Greeks, something to do with pe- young people getting uh, their youth sucked away so someone can stay young. So he goes to talk to his source on all things Greek, a former professor turned cabbie. This was odd because I had to rewind it because I didn't hear the part that he used to be professor. I was like, are they literally saying the only expert they can find is a Greek cab driver? But then I don't know if that's worse. Why is he why did he used to be a professor? What is happening? Why did they well, not, did not just catch, have to be a professor? Did you not catch him talking about being a professor in the past and how he misses all the young bodies that were around him? That's like, right. Oh, so you were fired for assaulting your students. You're right. Sorry. They had this the throwaway line that he's like, I couldn't be. Um, he says, I couldn't be a professor anymore, a professor anymore because of all the young women. And, and it was and it was just such a it's throwaway line. Of like, too. It's like a joke for no it's, big it's deal. Like, this is funny, right, everybody? <laughs> Yeah, it's it was so odd. It's one of those real timestamps. But then to like really punctuate this while he's having the conversation with this guy, another drunk guy who's like a businessman on a business trip keeps trying to get in the cab and then makes just like weird jokes because he's drunk in the morning. That's like but it doesn't mean anything. You, that's one of these weird things in the show is sometimes it's hard to know what you should track or not. Like you're like, Oh, a guy in eyeball. Is that important? You're like, but this drunk guy who's talking about his convention, is that important? It's like, well, one of them is. Yeah, it's it's a very odd sequence. I mean, really, the drunk guys are just a side comedy character. Just like a really gross yeah. guy there to party, I guess. I don't know. He's the one who says he was with a real, what did he say? He was with a real dog the night before. What did he say? A real bow wow. He's the one who did that line. Right, right, right. Your favorite line. <laughs> well, it was, just, it was just such a, well, here's the thing. Like, I know it's played for laughs. And it's written by probably an older guy, but the 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 joke doesn't land because he's a gross old guy. Yeah, so I it's know. Like, it's, who it, you criticize? Everything him? about him is awful. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I was with real Ugo last night. I'm like, do you have a mirror, my friend? At any rate, uh, Carl shows the cabbie a picture of Helen, the owner of Max Match, and the cabbie immediately is like, "Oh, a great photo of Helen of Troy." I'm like, "I'm sorry, you think this woman is Helen of Troy based on the photo of a real human being you're looking at?" Yeah, he basically is like, he's like, I've seen a million photos of her, which, by the way, I don't think there is a million photos. I'm sure there's artist interpretations, but it's not like there's any consistency to that. Um, uh, it's, it's just such a weird thing to say. But anyways, it's it's the only way they can tie it to what they want, which is this, it's not even Greek mythology. It's just this idea that it's Helen of Troy that for some reason wants to say young forever, and she's been doing this for a thousand years. I, I don't yeah, know why. It doesn't doesn't really work. Yeah, so the cabbie explains, he's just like, uh, Helena Troy had made a deal for with Hedic- 
Hedica, I'm mispronouncing that terribly, um, for eternal One youth. of the gods. And to do so, she would have to be making sacrifices to the Greek god. And probably Greek sacrifices used a lot of ornamentation, i.e. rings. So that's probably what the rings mean. Like he's explaining all this to Carl. And he yeah. kind of goes in. He's like, he's like, and you got to give the right sacrifice. Because if, if you give a subpar sacrifice, you'll get punished by the gods. And that's now we're like, oh, glass eye. Yeah. So this is when I think Kolchak, you know, into episode 19, doesn't work as well. When they have spent all this time of Carl investigating something that the viewer already knows. We're waiting for him to catch up to us. And instead of having the clues sort of add up to a conclusion for him, they kind of run out of time. And at the very end, you have to have a character who just gives gives all this exposition. And it's like, well, we could have just had more of that information be peppered through the episode and and this is when i don't think it works as well when you have to do these sorts of scenes where you're like yeah there's a greek professor who's now a cab driver and he just gives all the information it's like oh, okay but it's all worth it for that greek cabbie jordan because they're like we got to get that ring off your finger hard cut yeah. they're just the greek cab driver has a handful of mayonnaise and he's yeah. slaps it on carl's hand they start rubbing mayonnaise all over carl's hand in an extreme close-up of mayonnaise action yeah it's gross and the gag is that it's the best way to get to like lubricate so that you can get the ring off. And it doesn't really pay off for much other than like uh, Vincenzo's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I've got mayonnaise. And then we don't even really need to talk about there's a side plot that Vincenzo's trying to lose weight and he's doing yoga now. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. Vincenzo's trying to get healthy and he's doing yoga. Like, that's the whole joke. <laughs> the joke is like yoga. Isn't that funny? At any rate. Carl can't get the ring off. It's stuck on there. So he's like, I really need to do something about this. And the cabbie just like says randomly, he's just like, oh, in the olden days, they would, the, the priests would just destroy the like her- heretical temples or whatever. And Carl's like, all right, that's what I'll do. And he runs at the door and the cabbie's like, yeah, I didn't say it did anything. And we're like, yeah, what? Yeah. It's supposed to add this extra beat of Carl's going to now do something that's going to be ineffective, but I don't know what that adds to the episode. Because again, we have maybe five minutes left. Yeah, it doesn't add much. Because yeah, basically Carl goes, breaks back into Max Match again. He just runs right into that Greek room and just starts smashing the Roman columns and everything. He just starts smashing them all. And Helen of Troy just stands there watching him completely unfazed. And she's just like, I don't I don't know what you thought that was going to do. And she's like, well, I guess uh, you're wearing that ring. So the gods are going to kill you now anyway. And I'm like, what? I don't understand what's happening. And anyway, so lightning starts striking, like wind starts blowing. It starts getting like, you know, oh, no, something's happening. And then Carl's like, oh, FYI, did you know that that sacrifice you made literally four sacrifices ago was slightly imperfect? So maybe you're in trouble. And then she turns into a stone statue. It was weird, right? Because the idea is that if you don't do uh, they've they they did seed it, to be fair, which is she only wants quote-unquote perfect specimens yes and so because she made a sacrifice that she unintentionally did that was not perfect a la this guy with one eye the gods are then angry but it doesn't work because they didn't lean into it and then as you're saying it was like the first or second murder he's the first so murder like, of four murders so it's like why didn't they just do that at the end why didn't or or it could have even been a, a thing with carl did where he like very cruelly sacrificed someone because he knew that would that was the only way to defeat her, you know, something like that. There was like, just, it's just like, oh, this doesn't really work. And it's also like, and she turned into stone. Why? So the gods are punishing her. 
it's just like it didn't work in the course of this episode carl did nothing to affect the outcome she would have been this would have happened to her anyway but for whatever exactly. reason gods wait for sacrifices to like check the, i guess it takes them a while to go through the paperwork and see if any all the sacrifices have been perfect i guess yeah and then he's like he's like at the end he's like well so dating watch out you're like what and you know what is crazy? This is all set up. Like, she's making sacrifices of young, beautiful people. They have to be perfect to keep her young. Great. Carl gets the ring stuck on his finger. An imperfect sacrifice. That should have been how he defeated her. As he shows up, she, he, and he's just like, she's oh, doing a sacrifice. Right, yeah. He's like, you can't sacrifice me. I'm not a good choice. And she's like, oh, no, I didn't know you had a ring on. Uh-oh. And then, like, that's why she's defeated. You're right. That makes much more sense. It doesn't make any sense what's happening in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a good episode. And that's it. He just stands next to a statue and he's just like, well, I beat her. And he's like, you know what? You folks at home, always be careful what you put on your fingers. Like this ring I just got off. <laughs> then he puts back on his fingers like, oh, it's stuck again. Yeah, it's not a strong one. Here's the IMDb summary for episode 20, The Century. This is one story. I mean, I get to file in person, so I'll have to talk fast because it's after me. Claustrophobia has long been a part of the human experience from the Cro-Magnon all the way up to Freud. So if you ever happen to find yourself underground, and I mean deep underground, don't linger in the shadows. Kolchak tries to find some kind of reptilian monster that has been killing <laughs> construction workers after they open a new tunnel nearly two miles underground. I have many, many questions about this episode. Um, First, I don't think The Century is a good title for this episode. It's, I understand crazy. it's why a crazy it's a title. title for this episode. <laughs> it's a crazy title for what this is, because it should just be The Crocodile, or Crocodile Man, or Lizard Time, or something like that. And I'm going to say something else. The lizard doesn't look great. It is, I'm not ruining anything. It's like a bad lizard crocodile monster he's fighting. The costume is bad. It is a man in a rubber suit, Godzilla, like a very sub-tier Godzilla villain. <laughs> yeah. Now... For most of the episode, they very wisely do it in very, very dark shadows. And you only get glimpses of it, which is it plays best because how bad the costume is. When you see it in long shots walking and sort of in action scenes, it's very uh, original Star Trek, but even worse. Yeah, this is real low rent. Honestly, yeah. it's bad, but I really liked it. It was very funny I to did watch. Too. I think it's good. It's it's fun. It's just, it looks bad, especially for modern eyes. And there's something else I'm going to ask you, Luke, and this is taking us off track. The company in this, the, uh, the main company in this uh, uh, this episode, what are they called? Marymount Archive Corporation. Okay. I don't understand what this company does. It's all over the place. It's a storage unit. But it's not. It, they're also a mining company. No, they're not a mining company. Aren't they? No. <laughs> then why are they mining underneath the company? All right. Well, we'll get into it in a second, I guess. But okay. They so I'm going to describe the company to the listener. Marymount <laughs> Archive Corporation is an office tower in Chicago, apparently. But yeah. they also have elevators that go quite deep underground, and in these kind of underground, they've kind of built storage units, and they're very like corporate mm -hmm. and like you know hallways with fluorescent lighting it all looks like you've seen in like any any number of corporations but there's just no windows it's just all underground big long hallways that theoretically go to big storage units basically where companies mm -hmm. put their data they're putting i guess all these corporate records are going on magnetic tape and being stored down here so that when uh the new so if a nuclear blast happens they're protected or like weather or storms you know anything right like they're just protected what jordan what you're thinking is 
in these tunnels, apparently they've built this, they've built this sort of underground complex to store things in. And it's apparently based on an old salt mine. So portions of it are an old salt mine, which just look like old caverns with like old, like kind of like where, where you see a pickaxe person mining and the mm-hmm. company doesn't use these caverns. Cause there are, um, they say there's, there's hot springs in them. So they're too moist to actually store anything, but they still happen to be connected to the complex of tunnels they've built underneath this complex. So there are both like caverny, rocky, tunnels and then like weird corporate like hallways okay i got that but here's the thing they literally have scientists testing seismic activity and doing mining down there they do not have that scientist down there they have an agreement with the government and the government has sent a seismologist underneath there to to just do general seismology readings for the government right so now we've explained all this that all makes sense I don't think it was terribly clear in the episode. Also, isn't that needlessly complicated? Why not just have this be a mining company? It wouldn't be Carl Kolchak if it wasn't needlessly complicated. <laughs> it's just like, it's also we can get him into these caverns. It's just like, we didn't need all this. This is too much. At any rate, it opens with uh, Kolchak. And it's, it's classic Kolchak trope. It's, it's the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And he's describing to you kind of like a teaser for what's to come. He's driving through these tunnels, trying to get away on this golf cart. And he's like, something's chasing me. And I was actually hoping, and for most of the episode, I thought this was going to be the case, that they had changed uh, format a little bit and that this would have been the middle of the episode, which I'll be honest, I think would have been better that he was doing this halfway through. But it's not. It's the end of the episode. We kind of get a, a similar scene twice. Yeah, so just to tease you that he's going to get chased by something in these crazy underground caverns and, like, corporate tunnels yeah. and things. Uh, we cut to a few days earlier, and we're in the sort of salt mine tunnels that we described earlier. They're not the corporate ones. They're salt mine tunnels. This Dr. James Verheiden, he's the government scientist who's there to study seismology, has driven into them in one of the golf carts with an employee of the Marymount Archiving Company. And he's, I guess mm-hmm. he's just there, presumably on a scouting mission, just kind of looking around. But what he finds is he finds a big rock that he digs out of the ground. And that rock is full of eggs for some reason. These like black. Yeah, it's clearly eggs. Fistful eggs. And uh, Dr. Verheiden, he puts them on the cart and he takes them back to his lab and he leaves the employee there for reasons unknown. And that employee is immediately killed by the lizard monster, the rubber suited lizard monster. Yeah. So now. What is very clear to the audience and should be clear to this doctor is that, oh, I've moved eggs and the mother is angry, but it's going to take a while to get there. I mean, the scientist doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. He just wants those eggs. And then we cut a day later, second murder, as these Kolchak episodes have started doing, there's always two murders to kick us off. The second murder shows an electrician changing light bulbs in a hallway in this underground complex. And uh, we see it, we see a monster's hand smashing the light bulbs down the hallway, and this electrician is then killed by the uh, lizard monster. More of a claw, but yes. And again, it works well. They sort of write it off that we're going to learn that this lizard creature doesn't like light, so that's why it does it. But really, in terms of the structure of the episode, it's better if it's just done in the dark because it doesn't look as hokey. Absolutely. Um, a detective is put on the case of these missing, these these murdered, these killed scientists. I guess they don't know they're murdered. They killed people in this complex. And partly because, as we've said, the Marymount complex is an important corporate archive, but also the government stores documents down there. So they're, they've, there's a detective, police detective on it, but she is, like, supposed to keep it pretty low-key. low, low key. And um, she's also— What did you think of this? Uh, Lieutenant Irene Lamont, the first female detective on the force. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is really— le- 
into Kolchak's dislike of women. Yeah, so this is like, I don't know if it's so much, uh, you could argue with me, I don't think it's so much Kolchak as much as the people writing this show. Yes, and what I you agree. get is, what you get is like, oh, it's a it's a woman lieutenant. And you're like, great, but then they really lean into it in the wrong ways. And it, in what it is, is not that the men have difficulties because she is a uh, uh, authority figure, and they don't like listening to a woman. Which there's something interesting there about this male dominated uh, field and these yeah. These she had people to that fight to... her way up to be the first one, but no, yeah. that's not what they're doing. That's not what they're doing. What they're basically saying is that she is there, um, earned or not, and what she does is she manipulates men because she's attractive, and she uses that against them to get away with not giving information, and she sort of manipulates the press because they're all kind of uh, doe-eyed and, and yeah. uh, in, in love with her. All the reporters want to sleep with her, so they let her do anything she wants. And Kolchak, of course, being the somewhat asexual character, is not interested in her. He's only interested in the story. That's his real love, you know, is the, is the truth. And so he's he's um, combative with her. I don't think he's like, uh, uh, like we've said, I don't think he's, he's on the line of how he's dealing with women. I mean, it's because of a couple past episodes, I think, you could make a very good argument that he's anti-women. I don't think it's that as much as he's just, he doesn't really care. And I think he's irritated that the other men are acting the way they are. Yeah, I mean, there's that element to it. I think you're right. I'm not like, I think to put things on the characters hard to do in a show like this, because like it's so much you can see the voice of the author often giving a, a tone mm-hmm. to this. But I will say that throughout this, obviously Kolchak's annoyed that no one no one's really sticking it to this police officer because she's a woman and they're mm-hmm. all in love with her. So that's a piece of it. But anytime Carl has to describe the only female lieutenant detective on the force, he only refers to her as a Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. And he also he also describes her physically. Like it's not I'm not saying it's 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 all copacetic. It's definitely not. It's just very it's very like it's such a weird episode for this part of it. Yeah, and it's again, it's this show is frustrating sometimes. And I'm going to get off track here, but like, I really like the character of Carl Kolchak. I like the idea of it. I like the concept of the show. I like, I've said it before, I like the monster of the week, especially when it works well. Um, it, there's just so many missed opportunities in the show. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and one of, and, and like one of them is like this, this female uh, lieutenant. There's something really fun you could have with him and her again, not necessarily teaming up, but um, showing a different aspect to the relationship between the, the, police and the press and they just don't want to do that instead it's like can you believe this broad is in charge yeah i mean it really what it is is kolchak butts heads she doesn't want to tell him anything he like tricks her into revealing that the autopsy for one of the men is happening that day so carl goes to the hospital does what he usually does he dresses up in scrubs and somehow is like yeah. mistaken for a doctor who's supposed to be in the autopsy so that he can learn that the man was clearly killed by reptile teeth <laughs> But we find out later she drops a line that she knew he was uh, um, he was he was hiding and pretending. But I don't know why she didn't stop it. That was was weird. Like we definitely see him going to the autopsy and she sees him in like a face mask and she like double takes on him. Like she's like, I think I recognize this guy. And then they never she never does anything. So I just assumed that we're supposed to get to be like, oh, she almost caught on, but she didn't. And then Mm -hmm. later in the episode, she's like, I knew you were there. And I'm just like, but it doesn't add any it's not like when she's like i knew you were no. there and i wanted to give you the benefit of the doubt like it's not even that she's just like i knew you were there i'm like okay that's a the thing they could have added something to her character and they could have shown that 
she in the end outsmarted Carl. There'd mean something interesting there like, oh, by the way, I knew you're doing A, B, C, and D. And the reason is because I got this and I outthought you. And I thought, oh, that's cool. But that's not what they do. It's just like, hey, I knew it was you, but I didn't do anything because of reasons. Yeah. I also was just like, I clocked it too. And I'm just like, is this going to be a plot twist later? And it's just not. It's just like she literally says, I knew you were there. I'm like, okay. Great. Yeah. So anyways, and it's it's played for laughs that he obviously doesn't want to be a doctor. and But he gets the information he's looking for. Reptile teeth. <laughs> reptile teeth. That's it. That's what he was looking for. They're basically like, this guy was uh, uh, attacked by a reptile. How's that possible? Uh, so Kolchak decides he's going to pose as a representative of the International Nickel Syndicate from Winnipeg to get a tour of the Marymount Ar- Archives uh, as a prospective client. Uh, a, a tour by special guest cameo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the character is Jack Flaherty, and it's played by Tom Bosley. What a get. Happy Days fame, right? That's where he's from. That's right. Yeah, and and uh, and Father Dowling mysteries for some people who like his later work. <laughs> anyway, they head down ten thousand feet into the sort of like storage level. So they take a big elevator ride down. Uh, it hurts Carl's ears because they go down too fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know what, I, I kind of like that because they play with it later on because later on he's going to um, hide himself in a, hide himself in a box so he goes down and they play it again and we're just like, ah, my ears. Yeah, yeah, it's cute. I mean, it's some cute sequences. Um, Carl's getting a tour and, of course, Lieutenant Lamont pulls up some cops to talk to the people at uh, the Marymount Archives as well and she immediately spots Carl's car and she comes in and she talks to the secretary. She's, and this is something, did you catch this and is this true? She walks up and she's like, hey, I saw that car out front. Was a, was a guy with red hair here? And I was just like, does Carl have red hair? Okay. I was going to talk to you about this. This, and I think we haven't mentioned it. Someone who's actually listened to these, God help them, may be able to track this. This is at least the third time where someone has mentioned Carl has red hair. And I think at best, at best, there's maybe like a reddish tint at best. It's sort of like, by the way, people tell me constantly I have red hair. Constantly. I don't have red hair. Just for the record. I mean. My hair is at best, at best, Dirty blonde. You look a bit like Ronald hair. McDonald. <laughs> it's not, but people constantly are like, "Oh, you're a ginger," and I'm like, "I'm not." And it's weird that Carl. This is they've asked, they've said it many, many times, and he does not have red hair, guys. That's funny. This is the first time I've clocked it, so I was just like, I was like, blo- my hair was blown back. Episode twenty, the final episode. It's like he's a yeah. red. <laughs> Anyway, the detective has uh, someone call down to get Bosley, uh, Tom Bosley on the phone to warn him. It's like, ah, you're giving a tour to a reporter. And when the call comes in, Kolchak kind of uses that moment to like slip away, just like kind of like slides out a door while Tom Bosley takes the call. Also so funny, yeah. Tom Bosley's like gone for the rest of the episode. He's like in two scenes and that's it. That's all they brought him in for. It's a weird thing they've done many, many times where they have a guest star. And I think it's sort of like, it was good for a commercial for like, hey, on this week's Kolchak, it's Tom Bosley. And you're like, is he going to be in it? Like, eh, not really. And they've done this time and time again with the guest stars where it's like, it's a cameo at best. They just like, basically, they come to they come to the studio that day. They're going to shoot the episode. And they're like, they call around and say, hey, who has a lunch break coming up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who's got two hours? Yeah. Anyway, Kolchak kind of goes and starts exploring the basement. He meets this uh, angry union man in the lunchroom who's kind of upset about the deaths and not getting hazard pay for working so deep underground. And this guy kind of tells Carl all about the deaths that have happened. One happened in uh, the old salt mines, and the next one was kind of one sector over inside the complex. Mm-hmm. So Carl's kind of piecing together the timeline of the deaths. And then alarm, an alarm goes off, and the and the union man's so annoyed. He's just like, ah, that alarm means we've got to search the complex for intruders. That's not even part of my job description. Yeah. Yeah. But it's because people like Carl keep getting in. 
I mean, it, it works. I mean, and obviously he doesn't do a good job. He's not even reporting this man who knows. Like, he meets Carl, and Carl's just like, uh, yeah, I'm undercover as uh, an insurance investigator. Oh, one thing that has nothing to do with this episode, um, but you'll see in this scene, um, the guy's sitting at a cafeteria, and he's drinking his coffee, and Carl goes over to the vending machine, and it's a vending machine that pours you coffee. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I wrong? Those don't exist anymore, right? Because I think we just have coffee machines. But I th- I like the idea of the old vending machine that gives you coffee. Yeah, I think you'd have to really go to, like, I think if you go to the a really old wing in a university, you can, yeah. like, find an old one that still exists. Because, like, some old professor won't let it leave. I thought about it recently because I was um, in the city and uh, they had, there was, like, a fancy coffee shop. And what they had was a like a robot window on the outside where you just like typed it in and it out came a cup and all your coffee drink and stuff and it was very similar but i think it's just a modern version of uh of this sort of thing yeah they're a little classy now they got like robot baristas it's just not like a cup a That's paper cup was, yeah. falls down and there's hot brown liquid pours in. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate uh Carl, like, steals a golf cart now, and he kind of goes driving around these hallways looking for these sectors. And it's so funny. He eventually finds the hallway that electrician was killed in. But, like, all the light bulbs are still broken on the ground, and it's still dark. And I was just like, they never, they, like, nobody ever went down they there never after cleaned he was up. killed and, like, cleaned anything up. <laughs> it's been days. Well, they, they what they did was, um, I don't know if you noticed it, there actually was, like, um, uh, security tape and, like, emergency tape. So I think what they're implying is they were just like, that's bad just tie it off and no one go down to that window uh, that that ward yeah i guess maybe it's, it's an act of crime scene i suppose perhaps anyway carl goes down there and starts looking around and like apparently the lizard man has just been wandering that hallway the entire time he just appears <laughs> <laughs> and he has been wandering and again it does not look good when it wanders it looks it looks like someone's bad halloween costume and it's so funny like carl runs back jumps in his golf cart does an Austin Powers level like multi-point yep. turn in a tiny hallway. Yeah. And yeah. then it's so weird. He drives off down a different hallway and somehow the lizard man is now in front of him in a now different hallway. I, none of this made sense. I think it was just supposed to be that it's so cavernous that it knows its way around and he's accidentally got turned around. Right, I right. Think. Anyway, so Carl like runs his car in and jumps out and runs off and he's like runs back into that lunchroom where the police are waiting for him and he just gets caught and he's like gets his film confiscated and he's just like, you're under this arrest. This drove me Carl. crazy. So this scene, so the police, uh, I can't remember her name. Lamont. Lamont. She's sort of questioning him and she's like, I want to know what you know and you're not giving us information. And I'm yelling at the TV being like, you just took his film. His film has the answers that you're looking for and you don't want to hear it. So I didn't understand because she's like, I want all the answers. I'm like, you have them. He took pictures of a lizard guy. That's the answer. Yeah, it's it's so weird. It's so weird, especially because a little later in the episode, we'll learn that she knows there's a lizard person down there. I know. Yeah. And they're, and they're like in, in classic sort of X-Files way, it's the authorities are um hush hushing it so that no one knows about it i'm like so why did you need information yeah because it wasn't the whole point was she was trying to stop him from getting info it's dumb i mean maybe if she learned it later it was just like whatever's going on in her journey we're not privy to so it doesn't none of it adds up yeah at any rate carl's arrested again we cut to ins vincenzo's bailing out kolchak as per usual and so carl's like i gotta get back in there i'm gonna call up my old contact who just got released on parole from prison I, I want to make a real quick note, though, before we get to this guy, because that's an actual thing. They do another scene where Carl gets angry at someone. In this case, it's Vincenzo, because he implies that Vincenzo is being nice to the police officer, because, again, he's attracted to the woman. 
Oh yeah, I mean that is the running the running thing is like for some reason people let her get away with things because she's pretty. Yeah, so dumb. Anyways, it doesn't mean much other than like women. It just lets Kolchak rail against the woman for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, but you're right. The important part of the scene uh, is that he has a uh, uh, an informant who used to be in prison, who I think they imply was part of the mob or like yeah, an some sort of smuggler or, or something. Yeah. So, anyways, he uh, he gets info for the guy goes to him and i don't know why though they have to have a scene where he gets more information on like crocodiles or alligators and so he's talking to this guy about it as if this guy could provide any information but they just want that scene where you normally have him i guess go to um uh, uh, a museum or something and he'd see like a picture on the wall of a crocodile in this case they're just like oh while he's with this smuggler the smuggler will tell alligator jokes and give kind of information on alligators or crocodiles yeah he's like culture just reading a book on crocodiles just like do crocodiles stay on their back legs And this guy's like i don't know i don't think so yeah and it, it doesn't amount to anything really what you get in the scene is that they supply i guess it's um machinery and tools for mining and to this company and they put Carl into the box so he can go down. Is that not what it is? I mean, it is what it is, but it, they don't supply anything. He's gone to this guy because he's good at smuggling. He used to smuggle parrots in coffins or something. Kolchak has literally yeah. gone there. So this man will put him in a giant oversized box, deliver that box to the Marymount Archives Corporation. And then the corporation just takes this randomly delivered box and just brings it back underground. Okay, so I, I didn't think it was that. That's dumber. I thought it was that they... He happened to know someone by coincidence that also worked as a supplier for this company. So it was all sort of above the level in terms of how they thought. Oh, maybe. I didn't catch it if that was the case. It may not have been. What I got was he told a story about how he got in trouble for smuggling parrots but didn't soundproof the box. And now he's going to yeah. smuggle Carl into this place in a box. Yeah. And, but the whole point is it's a creative way to get Carl back in because he's been caught several times and i think it works pretty well and it's that fun yeah. thing where he's in a box and but you know what i like about carl when he's in the box so he's getting uh transported down and of course we joke that his ears are popping again but he has a flashlight and while he's getting uh, like uh all jarred around he's still trying to read about crocodiles with his flashlight while it's happening <laughs> and he keeps being like irritated that he's like he's getting disturbed i thought that was kind of funny i mean darren mcgavin does great work watching him in a box he's was a great was great there's a couple there's a couple things that he does as an actor that are so fun and one's coming up where he just ad-libs things but like his actions so he's when he gets out of the box I don't know if you noticed he starts closing the box behind him but gets his finger caught in it accidentally and then he's like ah and he like just shakes his hand and I thought what a great little scene there's no way that was scripted and it just he does little things like that like adjustments of his clothes and like he'll bump something and fix it and he does this all the time and it really adds to the character and i think he does it's it's why it's so hard to have anyone else be cold chat because he's just he is that character yeah he breathes i did catch that too he breathes so much life into it just to like get out of the box then he's like oh i should close the box and no notices and then he gets his fingers caught and i was like i'm like for sure this was just him on the scene being like i'm yeah. gonna get my fingers caught it's gonna be really funny yeah, it's great. It's great. And it, there's there's so many so much of that through the show we probably didn't mention, but it just it's a great to see that character be so three-dimensional. Yeah. And anyway, he's back in the caverns. They got him back down there into the complex and he he stumbles into Dr. Verheiden's office and finds the broken remains of like an egg. Like one of the eggs is cracked open. They're sitting on his like workbench or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, this yeah. Dr. Verhoeden re-enters the office, and he's not happy to find Kolchak there and doesn't want to answer his questions. Because we learned this a little bit earlier. Some another character kind of informed us of this. But Verhe- Verheiden is a very paranoid from the time when he was a professor in Utah, and he found a new mineral or something while he was a professor there. He'd gathered yeah. it all up, put it in boxes, and then put it on a train to ship back to the university. And one of his colleagues erased his name off the boxes, then wrote his own name on it. And somehow he lost all credit for discovering these minerals. Yeah, it's 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 just the thing this show does where they give way more backstory than necessary to sort of, I guess, color things. But it's just like, uh, OK, does this it's matter? Just to nope. explain why he won't tell Carl and like he won't tell Carl what the eggs are or what he found. Like, he basically just won't tell Carl anything. And Carl's just like, I don't but know. But that's do. the thing. It's not needed because you could just have him going, I don't know who you are. I'm not giving you information. That's all you need. But they have to like, well, there's a reason he's paranoid because otherwise he clearly would tell a reporter he doesn't know information. Yeah. And then like you think that's going to be important that they've kept this character around. But then Lizard Man busts through a wall (laughs) Kool-Aid Man style and murders him immediately. (laughs) It looks it looks terrible. It's like they've pre-cut the wall in like a jagged thing. It just looks so bad. It's so funny. Oh, there is a great clip that I'm probably going to put on uh, Instagram uh, during that whole thing. He's, he's trashing the entire like uh, sciences guy's table, and there's like this quick clip where they cut to the they cut to the lizard man, and he just flips a table. <laughs> it's so funny to me. Have you ever flipped a table in anger? Never. I'd love to. Me neither. Carl kind of escapes. He's like, "Oh no, the the scientist is killed. I got to run to this room." And as Carl runs out of this room, he runs into. A colonel and a bunch of soldiers with automatic rifles pointed at the door, but they're also posing as water department employees. Yeah, so you, there's like a big, they're like shooting guns off, and Carl gets knocked down, and the alligator is able, alligator, I keep calling him, whatever you call this thing, this lizard monster. It's immune to bullets. Yeah, it, it knocks people over and gets away, and then Carl goes and looks at their dog tag, I guess, and is like, oh, they're really military guys. I was like... Yeah, well, the water inspectors wouldn't have automatic <laughs> guns. I think that answered it, you know, already. It's very weird because we we didn't mention it, but, like, they pop up a little early in the episode when Carl's getting escorted out. They're like, these water men are there, and they're like, oh, we're here to take over the case. And I'm like, what is this? And then later you're like, oh, they're undercover military guys because they're there to help cover up the lizard. Mo-. It's all so random. Yeah. And overly complicated. There's no reason for it. It doesn't add anything. Yeah. Anyway, they, they haul him back to the lunchroom. They start interrogating Kolchak, just like they did earlier. It's the same thing. They pull it. They're destroying his film. They're like, what do you know? Mm-hmm. And then the lizard man, like, smashes through another wall and, like, knocks out a breaker. <laughs> so the lights go out and Carl, like, escapes. Yeah, he suddenly Batman's out. And it's so it's such a weird sequence of events. Because then Carl, basically, we catch up to Carl. He finds a different storage room that the doctor was using. And inside of that... He finds the big rock that's full of the little yeah. eggs, like the little fist-sized lizard eggs. And he's like, oh, eggs. And he, like, takes one out and looks at it. And we're like, okay, we, first time we get to see an egg. And I'm like, okay. And he puts the egg down on a counter, makes a torch out of a stick, then takes all the rest of the eggs inside of the rock and puts them in a go in a golf cart and drives off with them. But he's left one egg behind on a table. And I was just like... Oh, is there, what's, what, like, I thought there was going to be, like, a cliffhanger. I, like, I didn't know why he left one of those eggs behind, but they never come back to it. I didn't realize he left one behind. Maybe I'm wrong. Like, he took one out and was really looking at it, and then he puts it on the table and goes, he, like, it, this scene goes on forever. He, like, builds a torch, yeah. and then he goes and gets all the rest of the eggs, and then he, like, he puts them all individually on a go-kart. 
only somewhat on that point you mentioned the scene takes forever and you're right this is the episode that i would mention at the very beginning of this recording uh that there's so much it clearly was short because there's there's several scenes that are just extended way past uh you would normally have them you're just like why is this still going on it's like oh i think it was short they just kept it running yeah i mean that's probably that's probably not too off the mark but yeah the point is carl finds the eggs he kind of was like, oh, uh, let me take these eggs back to this salt. Like, this is where we catch up with him at the beginning where he's driving through the corridor trying to get away from the monster. He's driving back to these salt mines where um, they originally found the eggs, I guess. And he's using the eggs to lure the monster back to him. And he's using the torch to keep the monster at bay. Yeah. Yeah, he sort of makes a torch out of some materials he finds. And then he's driving around. The monster comes. And when when it comes to, like, attack him... He sort of pokes it with the fire. It doesn't exactly work because he still gets knocked down. But thankfully for him, it just picks up the eggs and hilariously just carries them away. And it just looks so silly because of the costume. Yeah, I mean, the idea being it's just like he gave it back its eggs and now it's 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 over. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's yeah. So it's not going to kill people. They're still mining in that area. But I guess if they just leave its eggs alone, it's fine. Well, and it's so funny because the, the closing monologue for Carl is just like, if you're ever riding the subway and see something weird, you're going to die. It's a lizard monster. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, it's such a weird... I mean, I won't lie. The How bad that lizard outfit was was very funny to watch. Like, I, mm-hmm. It made the episode way more entertaining than it should have been. Yeah, uh, it's, I think it was... Sometimes it's hard to guess, but I think even for 1974, I think it looked bad. I think for, like, we've seen costumes on this show before, and they haven't all been, like, top, top notch, but they've all been... This this episode in particular stinks of we're not coming back next week. Yeah, agreed. You know what it actually looked a little bit like? Do you remember that um, weird TV movie we watched where at the end it was a guy... It was that rich family, and they were... Um, they were worshiping a, a demon and the demon ended up being this lizard guy for like one split second at the very end. Oh, the, uh, that was, wasn't that, uh, yeah, that was that Gene Roddenberry special. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looked very similar to that. It may be the same costume. Well, I mean, at least in the Gene Roddenberry special, they knew not to stare. Like they, they avoided using it. They cut most of it out of the movie. Cause they're like, this doesn't work at all. This one, they're just like, whatever, just show it. Who cares? Who cares? We're not, this is the last episode anyone's yeah. ever going to make of this show. Yeah. Now, I'll say this before we even get to the ratings. I like this episode better than the last one. You you may not agree with me, but it was not a strong one to end on. Like, it's not like they were like, "Let hey guys, let's all pull together and really knock it out of the park for this last one." It's like, "Nah, one more. One more of these." Yeah, yeah. You could you could you could tell everyone's waiting to go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Jordan, uh, do you have any final notes or should we just get to the ratings? Let's see less ratings. And then I'd love to know where we're sitting for Kolchak, actually. Of course, actually. of course. So the youth killer, Helena of Troy, is on the on the prowl for young people. I don't know why I dislike this episode as much as I did. I think part of it is just, look, I think even in the end, uh, if you just watch this fresh uh, and hadn't watched a previous 18 episodes, I don't think it's very good. But I just think after watching so many Kolchak episodes, this is so paint by the numbers. And it's not even a very good paint by the numbers. I, I just, I didn't like this episode three to 10, which is probably meaner than it needs to be. And a little harsher. I just, uh, I'm tired of episodes like this. Like you guys can do better. Yeah. I mean, 
listen, there's a there's a lot of just like there's a lot of stuff that doesn't age well in the episode A, which is like a little like hard to watch at times. And then yeah, very much in the paint by numbers formula. It was fun at the beginning when you got to watch a couple of these actors get old really quick. But those were the that's high- about it though. It's the first five minutes. That's the highlight of the episode. I, I'm also gonna give it a three. Yeah, not a good one. Well, that just leaves the century. Now this episode. I liked more. I don't think it's a great episode, but for whatever reason, I was kind of tickled by how silly the dinosaur lizard thing looked. And I did like, there was hints of things that were better. The The stuff with the police officer was dumb and it was overly complicated. And as I pointed at the beginning, I don't know why you needed all these. This company has secret water people and there's the government and they've got mining, but they also do security. And it's like, this is way too much, guys. But I still kind of like the episode. I'm going to give it a higher score than it probably deserves. It's the last episode. We're done with Kolchak. Six out of ten. Six out of ten. Yeah, honestly, it's a very silly episode. I like how absurdly complicated it is. I like how bad the monster looks. It is it really its biggest flaw is just like how much it leans into like a lady detective that's dumb like that's kind of its biggest flaw i would say which is too bad because the rest of it is so silly and like campy and like Mm -hmm. just badly it's badly made in the way that's kind of fun even though like that's not what they intended but i i think i kind of like just end on a five it's a straight five i think yeah yeah well why don't we uh punch it into the uh continuum drag computer and see where we're at i know we're above a five i know that you got it let me punch it in All right, Jordan, do you want to know the final score for uh, Kolchak, the Night Stalker, the final series rating? 6.38. 6.38 is what you're guessing, huh? Yeah. It is 5.83. Ooh, lower than I think. I'm surprised to see it that low too, but I think what it is is there's so many real duds yeah. that it really counterweighs any of the ones that kind of work. Well, that's the thing so you know once we finish a series like that you know the question becomes would you recommend this show i'm gonna say off for me i would recommend the show if this is in your sort of wheelhouse however i would say there's probably about maybe six episodes that you'd probably watch and you'd get the show and you'd be like this is a fun show but i wouldn't watch all 20 yeah i agree i would find a best of list and just watch the first like four to six and then i think you're fine if you're really into it you can keep going but i think you're just like it's diminishing returns for sure yeah because because really once you you get the formula i would say half the episodes are pretty much the same show like it's it's like oh the monster's slightly different and he might see a different painting but it's pretty much the same the same show which is its greatest flaw because those episodes that are a little better are just they just bend that formula a little bit and it, and it works better yeah i mean they will, they will fool you into thinking that this is a show that had that had legs and was unjustly canceled but if you watch that as a whole you'll be like well this is this should have ended yeah because how many more times can the exact same thing happen it it's not like again there's things that you could have done to uh cover some of those holes which is have uh, a partner with him that changes the dynamic for the episode or have him go to a different uh, locale so he's not he doesn't have his informants little things like that would have kept it fresher but they for whatever reason were like this is what the episode is you can't change it that it has to happen 
you know, an ABCD has to happen. It's just like, and it's kind of a bummer because again, Darren McGavin is great. It's a fun character. And when it works, it's really entertaining. But a lot of the times you're just like, oh, this is a fun character in a really boring episode. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. As I think in any episode you watch, you'll probably find some great character moments that Darren McGavin's bringing to the show. But they largely have nothing to do with what's happening in the episode or what's going on. They're just like, he's fun to watch as this character. But sometimes, but the rest of it sometimes does not follow suit. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say our overall ranking based on our episodes is probably lower than I would give it if someone asked me what I actually thought about the show. Because, again, you sort of remember the better ones. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like it. I think perhaps it is is showing the true the true nature of Coljack, that five, that, that low five. Yeah, maybe. Well, Jordan, that's the end of Kolchak. That's it. Until we watch the 2005 edition. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, forgot about that. <laughs> well, until then, Jordan, uh, listener, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com if you want to get a hold of us. And uh, on Instagram and Twitter, we will have some clips from these two episodes. And there's some fun clips from both of these episodes, I think. Oh, people getting old. Bad lizard monster. <laughs> people getting old. Everyone loves to watch it. Yeah. The one, the one you you were right though the the editing of the girl um exercising on the balcony that was fun yeah that was that was a well done version of that for sure yeah you can find those at continuum drag is the handle on those on those platforms and that wraps it up so uh, Jordan something and listener something else what do I say you say like see you next time and then I'm like oh what a real bow wow <laughs> okay bye everybody <laughs> bye. <laughs> Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.